You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off from America's number one meal kit. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 500, Worst Case Scenario. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we examine an episode of Star Trek. That means all the episodes of Star Trek, one by one, even the overlooked stories hiding in the corners. Then we see if they stand the test of time and can offer up any morals, meanings, or messages. Or, barring that, we see what our favorite Starship crews are doing, and if anyone blows up real good. This week... Worst case scenario, the one where a holodeck program runs amok. And some of those characters... Ooh, ooh, hey, uh, let me help you out, Norm. Mm. Let me help you out. They blow up real good. Yeah, spoiler. I'll be back with trivia, but first, Norman wants to tell you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at missionlogpod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with this week's Worst Case Trivia. <laughs> this, well, it's okay trivia. I think it's okay trivia. Okay. Uh, we have an episode here written by Kenneth Biller. Not a surprise to see Ken's name again. Most recently, we covered before and after with his name on that script. This was directed by Alexander Singer, another veteran with his name attached to a Voyager episode. We last discussed one of Alexander's episodes when we talked about Darkling. And remember that he spent uh, the most of his time on Trek with Voyager, but he directed a half dozen episodes each on TNG and DS9 before jumping into the Delta Quadrant. Now, I got to be honest with you, this is an episode that does not have a lot of deep trivia. We're kind of getting toward the end of the season. And yeah, this one went through a few title changes, but really nothing that dramatic as far as the difference between what's on page and what ended up on screen. You can really tell that this is a bottle episode the closer we get to the end of the season. And they're saving that budget and they're saving that production time to really throw us something to wrap up season three and take us headlong into season four now let's meet our guest stars uh, again pretty slim we've got just one guest star this week but she is a very recognizable guest star returning to voyager is martha hackett as seska what's that you thought seska had shuffled off this mortal coil well it's star trek so there are always clever ways to bring back a character. And don't worry, after this one, we have finally, definitely seen the last of Seska. Maybe. In this episode, Tom and Tuvok find themselves in a maze of twisty little passages, all alike. 
Prologue. A very anxious Bellana Torres is walking down one of Voyager's corridors as Chakotay sidles up to her and escorts her to the turbolift as they both exchange in some harmless small talk. However, once inside the privacy of the turbolift, Chakotay asks Bellana a few probing questions about her feelings towards Tuvok and Janeway. He finally cuts to the chase and tells her that the Maquis are planning to make a few leadership changes soon, and he wants to know which side Torres will choose once the shooting starts. Act 1. On the bridge, it is business as usual. Captain Janeway appears from her ready room to inform Jakote that she is leaving him in charge of Voyager as she and Tom rendezvous with the Rukani, a possible alien ally. Chakotay tries to persuade Janeway to also take Tuvok for her personal protection, but Tuvok believes that he can serve Chakotay better by helping him justify the trust that Janeway has placed in her new first officer. Once Chakotay confirms that Janeway has indeed shuttled off the ship, he orders Harry to take the transporters offline for a diagnostic just as two additional security officers arrive on the bridge with a new duty roster for Chakotay's approval. Suddenly, Chakotay opens a shipwide channel and orders all hands to, Let's do it! In rapid succession, Chakotay stuns Tuvok and Balana stuns Harry. They both leave the bridge to join reinforcements and meet up with Seska, who has cleared the corridor for them using a compression phaser rifle. As the McKee traders siege the ship, Chakotay and his team find a pocket of resistance in the mess hall. Neelix surrenders and turns traitor easily, while the rest are taken to Cargo Bay 1 where the rest of the hostages are corralled, including one last shipwide search for any stray Starfleet personnel. In the cargo bay, Chakotay gives the Starfleet officers a chance to join him and to forsake Janeway's Starfleet protocols for exploration, which are in direct opposition of the Maquis just wanting to get home in the fastest way possible, including appropriating any technology that will aid them along the way. And just as the tension is rising in the room, Tom Paris bursts in and asks Balana. What's going on? It turns out this whole scenario is simply that, a hollow novel that she accidentally discovered while routinely purging the computer's database. However, the author's name is encrypted, adding another wonderful layer to this mystery. Act 2. Tom persuades Bellana to not turn this information over to the captain just yet. After all, they don't really know the full story. Of the story, that is. Tom decides to test it out for himself, and soon he is standing in the very same corridor wearing an ensign security uniform, being sidled up to by Chakotay just as Bellana was in her story. And for the most part, Tom's hollow novel experience is exactly the same, right up until Chakotay orders all hands to, let's do this. Tom tries to warn Tuvok, but his actions change nothing. He, Tuvok, and Harry are then taken to the brig, and Tom tries to persuade Tuvok to take some kind of action. But in typical Tuvok fashion, he bores Tom with his advice to be patient, to wait for the right moment. And much like Balana's story before, Tom, as the ensign role player, is whisked away to Cargo Bay 1, where he's given the Chakotay speech to join the mutiny. But this time, Tom decides to go all in with the Maquis. Back in the mess hall, Tom and Balana compare notes about their hollow novel experiences, but it turns out that their secret has spread through the crew as both Neelix and Harry went in on the fun. Balana suggests to Tom that he should go along with the Maquis because it is a much more interesting story. So he does, and we find him back in the hollow novel alongside Chakotay and Seska, all dressed in Maquis fashion. Having tracked down Janeway, Chakotay tries to bargain with his former captain, who opens fire on the ship. And before her shuttle is destroyed, Janeway and her version of Tom Paris beam aboard Voyager to free the prisoners. 
However, in the brig, both Janeway and Chakotay shoot each other down, just as the real Tom Paris comes face-to-face with his hologram Starfleet counterpart. And just as the story is getting really good, the program shorts out due to lack of content, as in the story was never finished. Act 3. Desperate to find out if there is any more to the story, Balana and Tom try to decrypt the original author's identity from the holodeck computer, but to no avail. Even Neelix tried to discreetly ask around to see if anyone knew anything about the mysterious author of their beloved Hollow novel, but nothing. However, shortly after an accrue briefing with Captain Janeway, she brings up the subject of the Hollow novel and how it has truly caught the attention of the crew, and she wants her staff to discover the identity of the mysterious author. But Tuvok assuages her concerns about this entire affair and admits that it was he who wrote this program as a training exercise for his junior security trainees based on the premise of what would happen if the Maquis were to mutiny. Tuvok's admission stunned Janeway and his fellow officers because first, they had no idea Tuvok was a writer, and second, now he can finish the story. He has no intention of returning to complete that particular work since it no longer serves any logical purpose. But Janeway thinks that these kinds of creative endeavors could help boost crew morale. Tom then volunteers to pick up where Tuvok left off and is given the captain's blessing to finish the story. Later in the mess hall, Tuvok approaches Tom with the algorithms that gave the characters their motivations in his original scenario. However, Tom thinks that what the story needs is unpredictability and twists. And as Tuvok and Tom argue over which creative strategy best suits the story, Balana and Neelix can't help but chime in with their two cents worth of creative collaboration. She'd like to see a little bit more romance, and Neelix, well, he'd just like his character to be less traitorous. In the holodeck, Tom and Tuvok are waylaid by the Doctor, who has his own brilliant narrative contributions to make. And after they summarily dismiss him and restart Tuvok's base program, both he and Tom are surprised to start the story from within the brig and especially with a very sentient Seska, who confesses that she has rewritten Tuvok's training scenario with the added threat of removing all safety protocols from the holodeck as she points her phaser at both Tom and Tuvok, giving them 10 seconds to run for their lives. Act 4. Tuvok and Tom take Seska at her word and flee from the brig. They race through the ship and are flagged down by Captain Janeway in the transporter room. She thinks that if they can beam into the cargo bay, they can free the prisoners and retake the ship. Of course, Seska, this time with Chakotay at her side, has anticipated this move. After all, she's rewriting the story to fit her needs. Janeway attempts to kill Seska, but her phaser rifle overloads, killing her in the process. Chakotay shoots Tom in the arm just to prove Seska's point once again that this simulation is in fact real. Tom and Tuvok run once again, but this time to sickbay to try and get medical attention for Tom's arm. However, they are met with a very different and maniacal EMH who attacks them and throws him out of his sickbay, forcing Tuvok's realization that Seska can turn any crewmate against them. Outside in the real world and on the bridge, Harry and Bellana prove to Janeway that Seska is responsible for the cascade of system failures across the ship that are linked with Tuvok's program, and that she's rigged booby traps across Voyager's power grid, which will detonate if they try and pry open the holodeck doors. Knowing that the narrative parameters to the holo novel are open, and that Seska is rewriting the story to maneuver Tom and Tuvok towards their doom, Janeway believes that she can try her hand at rewriting the holo novel as well. And just in time, as Tom and Tuvok are about to be burned alive by a plasma flare in a Jeffries tube, Janeway writes into the scenario a plasma extinguisher for Tom to use so they can escape. 
Tuvok realizes what is happening and believes that the captain can lead them to safety, but just as Janeway gets them to a safety hatch, Chakotay is there to intercept them, proving that Seska is always one step ahead in her hollow novel. Act 5. As Janeway continues to countermove against Seska's countermoves, Harry works diligently on the transporters, as they may be the only way of getting Tom and Tuvok out of the holodeck alive and without blowing up the ship. However, whatever Janeway has in mind, she better do it fast because Seska has Tom and Tuvok placed in front of her firing squad, preparing to have them executed. Suddenly, Chakotay tries to de-escalate the situation, trying to wrestle back whatever influence he has over the mutiny. Seska realizes that Janeway has somehow taken command of Chakotay's algorithm in the story, so Seska eliminates him, proving once again that her reconfigured program has complete control over Tom and Tuvok's eventual fate. Suddenly, Voyager is rocked by weapons fire. Tom informs Seska that it is the Rukani, the allies that he and Janeway made on their earlier away mission. The Rukani attack is just enough distraction for Tuvok to get his hands on a phaser rifle. Seska is running out of options and initiates Voyager's self-destruct sequence and will terminate it if Tuvok surrenders. Tuvok, after quickly pressing a few buttons on his phaser rifle, hands it over. Seska, believing she has the upper hand, keeps her promise, ends the self-destruct sequence, but also takes aim at Tuvok. But when she pulls the trigger, the rifle overloads and kills her, which ultimately ends the hollow novel. Later in the mess hall, Janeway and her crew look around the table to see who is going to be the next hollow novelist. Tuvok suggests that if he and Tom were to tackle another story, it would be a subject much less close to home. The End Thank you, Norman, for taking us to the holodeck and back. Appreciate the trip with your recap. Is the best is, case scenario. Yeah, that, that is the best yeah. case scenario. He just yeah. knocked through that recap. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, like, from the very beginning, did you check the volume on your uh, on your remote? Because I did when I first watched this. And you fade up from black and there's Bolana in the corridor. The mm-hmm. first thing I did, I, I kept turning up the volumes. I was like, I'm not hearing any corridor sound engine sound like the normal atmospheric stuff so i knew something was off because it was so oddly quiet right away and then as soon as characters start speaking ill of other characters i mean tuvok and janeway yeah i i I was fooled the first time i watched it i have to admit that i was you know i i know that um we do our observations kind of like in chronological order but Mm -hmm. i just wanted to make a point from a direction and blocking standpoint that when Balana's searching through the corridor, she makes two quick turns, looks, and then there's no one around. And as soon as Chakotay sidles up against her, yeah. then the hallways populate very quickly. It's almost oh. as if the program doesn't start until Chakotay says his first line. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. I have very other specific instances where I went back and forth to see if the footage matched up when both Balana and Tom did their sequences. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, cool. So I'll mention that later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love all the details that happen in this. Like that detail of just going back to Voyager's early days. Like, well yeah. done. Matching hairstyles, mentioning Chakotay's first promotion as first officer. I thought all of that just spot on, really nicely done. And we're even as a character, we're kind of back to the old Tuvok. Like the fact that he jumps down Harry Kim's throat oh, yeah. <laughs> at the first chance. I mean, and, and poor Harry just getting phasered right away. I mean, too bad. But I, I love those interactions that, that really spoke to, hey, here's what it looked like three years ago. 
I mean, there was Harry and Tuvok's kind of like grating attitude towards each other. But then there was also Tuvok's kind of paranoia about Chakotay. So yeah, yeah. I like that, too. How they, of course, after Tuvok, you know, revealed that he wasn't Maquis, there was tension between he and Chakotay for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. I do have to wonder if Chakotay couldn't have come up with a better, or I guess, Tuvok coming up with the line for Chicote, if they couldn't come, come up with a better way of just saying, let's do it, like literally shouting it. Like, don't you have a button or something? Like anything else you could put into action that felt a little cheesy, but. but I felt like I needed to highlight that in my recap yeah. <laughs> because it was a little awkward. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, when when Chicote is trying to coax Harry to surrender, I love how how he's lit and mostly shadow with a little bit of side lighting. Very sinister. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was a great lighting choice. Here's an interesting thing, and I'm going to bring this up later on. When Balana shot Harry, that was part of her process as Mm kind of like your choose choose your own adventure, you know, uh, reflex. And and she shot Harry. I'm wondering if, (laughs) you know, if that was something that is, is somewhere deep in her subconscious because it was so reflexive. Right. You, you yeah. gotta wonder. Yeah, yeah. Later on, when they're discussing it, did Harry can say, "Well, you, you didn't shoot me, did you?" Like, right? You know. You know so, uh, hmm, yeah. yeah. Jonas, get a right? name check and and a little audio from Jonas. That was kind of cool to hear that uh, that throwback. And by the way, here's another throwback: Seska Holodeck, Seska announcing that she is using a wide beam. On her right. phaser, she could use wide beam. Apparently, nobody else remembers this from week to week. Like that, that is a thing. That is a setting you have on that big old phaser. So here's something I just wanted to point out, just because it happens in in, in in a in a very haphazard way. I think because it's supposed to be a computer simulation. Mm-hmm. So Balana and uh, Seska, like they grab Benson Chad out of his room, right? <laughs> yeah. And they have their comm badges on. But when they're brought to the cargo bay and with the rest of the Starfleet crew, their comm badges are off. Now, later on, you know, when Tom and Tuvok are held, you know, their comm badges are on, they get stripped off. So yeah. it, was just, it was just, there was, it was a weird way of kind of like the continuity was just weird with the, with the badges. And then later on at the end of the episode, Tom makes contact with the Rukani because he has his comm badge on. Yes. Yeah. So small details, but they do add up to certain things. Maybe they don't need no stinking badges. They don't. They really don't. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, I love, 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 love how the Hala novel plays out exactly the same way at the start for Tom. It's a nice bit of TV production anyway, but it's really interesting in universe to think about Hala novels actually playing out like that anyway like how many variables are there and we'll probably get into this a little bit more about how much does a guy like tuvok actually program how much is locked into the program and how much is the computer kind of improvising in an ai sort of way down the road but i i love that we kick it off at the start with exactly the same setup exactly the same dialogue with, that's where I found this to be really interesting, just in terms of uh, a production standpoint, because we do and we don't. So in the beginning, Bolana and Chakotay have like three or four random officers walk behind them. But when mm-hmm. it was Chakotay and Tom, it was just that one woman that passes you know, between them so they could look mm-hmm. back at a mm-hmm. female crew member. But here's the one that really kind of made me question the directing at earlier oh, on in the episode. Okay. And maybe not the directing, but the blocking. Yeah, so. Yeah. 
when it was Bolana's story, the two security guards, when they come in, they stand very close to Tuvok Station when yeah. they hand over the duty report. Right. And it was the darker-haired, taller one closer to Tuvok and the red-haired one closer um, you know, to his – Yeah. would be his camera. He, he was on – yeah, he was on, on, on that guy's left. Right. Right, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Right, so that was, that was Bolana's story. And then in Tom's story, it was the reverse, and they were standing far further apart from each other. Now, uh. the reason why I bring this up is because there is a firefight that ensues and would put people in different positions to be hit by phaser fire. Okay, but here's the thing. In universe, do we say that that is a bit of randomization that the computer is allowed to do? So does a guy like Tuvok come along and say, all right, a couple of people come onto the bridge and then when the order is given, they start firing. Does it break it up just enough, present enough new variables just enough so that if Tuvok is running this over and over again, he could see how this could play out? It's a great point. I mean, that's, mm. that's, that's the other way of looking at it for sure. It's just, um, you know, when you like, I've played enough computer games to know that, you know, when you have a sequence of events and you play the same story over and over and over again, you know how to patternize the game. Yeah. Now, yeah. like in a now, if this was seen as more of a, you know, an, an MMO, you know, like a massively multiplayer online game, then the NPCs can kind of shift around a little bit. Anyway, that's way down the rabbit hole. That's just <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Holodeck Chicote saying uh, we won't be wasting precious time investigating stopping oh, oh sorry we won't be wasting precious time stopping to investigate every insignificant anomaly about time somebody said it actually john you and i have said this <laughs> you know on other shows so, um, so we're on the same page with holodeck chicote with uh, maybe a couple times in this maybe episode. i'm not sure maybe yeah i i do wonder though like if the whole point is him saying like okay we're, we're gonna get rid of janeway we're gonna get rid of anybody who's not part of our plan here so we can get home faster so then everybody gets home to be a criminal doesn't yeah. sound like a really well thought out plan um huh. kind of like seska and her poorly thought out plans right yeah yeah the closer you get to home, the closer you're going to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. there, the sooner you'll go to jail. I do like uh, in in the brig. I, I do like uh, his dialogue to Tom Tuvok's dialogue to Tom, where he's basically saying, "Observe, record. You know, don't interfere right now. Get all the data, then you can act." And Tom's like, oh, "I'm getting bored." Yeah, I'm like, again, dude. <laughs> like, how can you be bored? You're in a yep. holographic story on a starship. Yep. What's the matter yep. with you? Exactly. Right? Also, why is like everyone when, when Tom and Bolana are in uh, are in the mess hall talking yeah. about their you know their experiences, and then like Neelix comes in and says that you know you know uh, this is what I'd like my character to do, and then Harry comes in and like hey Ayala said that there's this shush 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 yeah. you know why are they treating this story like it's porn? Yeah, I know, right? It's so it's it, a it, hollow novel. I know, I, but you know that that's so weird. It's like there is this very wholesome thing anyway about the use of the holodeck. Not not in DS Nine. DS Nine, they pretty much just told you what the holodeck is for, the hollow suite is for. But in this, you know, there's a very wholesome Starfleet veneer to it. So anything that even seems a little inappropriate, they, they suddenly get very 
closed up about it. it yeah. It's really funny, but it's an interesting mystery at this point, not knowing who wrote it. And it is funny to me how news travels very fast. Like, I thought that was a funny little through line in this whole story. But now, at least I feel like this Hala novel reveals something very important about the Maquis. And I know why there's such a, a, a huge political lightning rod for all of Starfleet that uh, the Maquis were fully committed to bringing back vests. And I think that's really what this whole their whole history is about. So uh, that was front and center in this episode. I loved the flavor of that. It almost reminded me of seeing like Khan's crew, like kind of yeah. like, scattered across Reliance Bridge in Wrath of Khan. You know, they right. just had their their tattered pirate uniforms on, and they were all you know informal. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, a little bit of a weird moment toward the end of that act where uh, you've got Tom Paris playing the game, playing the holodeck novel, but he says, "Well, I'm just going to go in." fully committed to the mutiny but then he sees himself in the shuttle so he sees uh-huh. starfleet so that at that point tom in the hollow novel uh, or tom playing the hollow novel is a different character unidentified he just happens to be there but then he sees tom paris starfleet officer in the shuttle I would wonder if people would get really self-conscious about that. Like, that would just be a little too weird for you to keep your composure in the game. I mean, actors don't like watching themselves in movies and TV shows anyway. That seems like it would feel very odd. I do like uh, Tom saying, remember the good old days when it was impossible to keep a secret on a ship this small? (laughs) Like, that was kind of a fun bit speaks to where they are now in their journey and i i really appreciated how janeway is into the hollow novel like how she's into this whole idea so much so that it becomes a part of the senior staff briefing like that that was of course they they have to have things to talk about while they're flying around for 70 years trying to get home and of course number check it has been accessed 47 times by 33 people, of course. It's not, and that's not the first reference this episode for nope, 47. Nor nope. will it be the last. I love how Janeway, at, at first, you know, the, the crew are kind of like, should we tell her about it? Because we're all into it. You know, what's she going to say? Is she going to look down on us? Are we going to get reprimanded for this kind of... Again, I don't understand, like, why the crew feels ashamed that mm-hmm. they're engaging in this hollow novel but i do like how she kind of subverts the expectations of everyone in the room and says i think this is a wonderful thing i think that creativity is something that we're going to need and uh i was like i did not see that coming that was like one of the bigger plot twists that i've actually seen yeah in voyager with a character uh it it was cool and and i guess like if you are going into a senior staff meeting and Part of what's on people's minds is like, yeah, we've all been playing this game where probably one of us will end up shooting the captain. (laughs) Maybe you want to keep that part of it quiet, but so cool of her to be that cool about it. Love the reveal with Tuvok. Thought that was just a lot of fun to have that in the episode as another plot twist. And (laughs) the little back and forth between Tuvok And Tom Tuvok saying logic is an integral part of character development. And I love Tom just going way over the top, needing to be pulled back a little bit. I could see that being a conversation in the writer's room about an actual episode of Voyager. And man, Tuvok's uh, his throwing shade. I would hardly call Mr. Paris's ideas artistic 
boom. That was such a mic drop. I love mic that. Mic drop. I mean, yeah. you pair that up with a finger and, mm-hmm. yeah, watch out. You know how we, like, always um, op- you know, make an observation point about when Star Trek kind of, like, breaks the fourth wall, kind of po- mm-hmm. points the finger and pokes fun at itself? This happened to me in this episode when Tom said, well, I don't know anything about Tehane, but I do know what makes an interesting story, and that's unexpected plot twists. I'm like, oh, where's this going? And then Tulak <laughs> says, if you think I will allow you to turn this program into a parody, you are sorely mistaken. I'm like, are they going to do this now? <laughs> and that's how I watched the episode for the rest of the episode. Oh, funny. Okay. Well, everybody's a critic. Them, us, everybody. <laughs> Security code 4774. I mean, really, now the 47 uh, reference is a palindrome? So many 47s. Right? So many. Yeah. I got to say, by the time we get to what's happening, though, in the holodeck and with – I just kept thinking, Seska meet Moriarty, Moriarty meet Seska. Yeah. I, I mean I, – and, and I did have to wonder why would Seska take the time to program this, but again – a lot of Seska's choices we, we just can't account for because she chose to do weird things. I do have to say very often countdowns on TV shows for dramatic purposes, they're almost always a problem. I, I mean, Seska is really taking her time to do that countdown from 10 to 1. And you probably do what I do, the home version, where you're mm-hmm. actually counting down 10 seconds in your head and you go like, okay, she would have shot them way, way, way before the end of this. That drove me crazy. And it wasn't just 10 to 1. It was 10 to like 5. And like, oh, by the way, by the, explanation. Uh, we're going to have a whole other you know, conversation. I turned off all these other things. Back right. to 4, 3 to 1. Yeah. So, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny thing about uh, kind of like the way that – remember I got bugged about like the whole is this going to be like this weird plot twist thing that Tom's talking about. And she yeah. said I'm not going to turn this into a parody. Well, yeah. Seska actually does a little bit of both because – she kind of gives everyone what they want. She gives, like, Balana the steamy romance in this story because she and uh, Seska and Chakotay have a steamy romance. Yeah. And then yeah. they have, so have the, the plot twist because um, there's the kissing scene between uh, Seska and Chakotay, which you didn't see coming. So it's kind of... They don't get to see it, but it was there. Like, the, the story evolved into things that Balana and uh tom both wanted oh interesting yeah but it was because of seska her interference right right look i do have to say janeway blowed up real good that that was i mean they they just they went for it with that i thought it was very cool and definitely was not expecting the uh the turn with the holodeck version of the emh i mean what's that about well i you know i i feel like part of its contractual obligation we, we have to get it, but, yeah, yeah. We, we have to get Bob in the episode somewhere. Where else are we going to do it? But the holodeck. Let's just let him be evil. We did it in Darkling. Let's just let it. But but th- this was a little funnier version of him being evil. Oh, here here's the acid I'm injecting into your arm. You know that was just bizarre. <laughs> it was. Yeah. But but and he slapped Tuvok. I mean that was. Yeah, I guess it just kind of shows the intensity of uh, of the scene. I, I I enjoyed it. It was over the top. Also got a question. Uh, where are we going to hide? I guess we'll have to go into the Jeffries tubes sure like nobody's gonna think to look for you there like seska is not going to think to look for you there and uh interesting other plot twist here 
apparently you can watch a hologram or a holodeck program playing out from a monitor somewhere else on the ship. That seems like poor planning. That's a, that was a weird directing choice because mm-hmm. you're seeing Janeway looking at a monitor from our point of view, looking over Tom and Tuvok's shoulders in the turbo lift. Yes. It was like that scene in Spaceballs, you know, when Dark Helmet, <laughs> you know, and the other, and Colonel Sanders, they're looking back right. and forth like, right. what is going on here? <laughs> You know, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, maybe I'll come back to this in the wrap up, but I, I'm not really sure how I feel about Janeway being the one, the sole person to program the holodeck or reprogram the holodeck. I don't, I don't know what other choices were discussed when kind of fleshing out this episode, but that, that it just seemed a little odd to me. It was kind of funny that, that she kind of took took charge of programming or reprogramming Chakotay. <laughs> if only she could in real life. Yeah. yeah um, resolutions. Yeah. Um, looking at you. <clears throat> so there's a lot of preparing to fire in Seska's mm-hmm. execution. It must have been like a 10-minute sequence. And so it reminds much. me of something that both you and I love, John. This is yeah. Austin Powers. So there's a scene <laughs> in Austin Powers where Dr. Evil says to his son, Scott, no, Scott, I have an even better idea. I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. Scott says, why don't you just shoot him now? I mean, I'll go get a gun. We'll shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang. Dead. Done. I mean, like, that right. literally is this scene. Oh, you just like, don't understand, Scott. <laughs> I mean, uh, it took yeah. forever for that. And that goes to the countdown part where you're just chewing time. Yeah. Truly, right. truly, yeah. yeah. I do have to wonder how easy it is to set a phaser to malfunction like that. And, uh, of course, Seska can't be aware of it, can't pay attention to it. But fun, I guess, that even in the hologram, you can do that to the holographic phaser to take out a holographic character. Must have been pretty easy, though. You just do, 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 few buttons. Here you go. Seska started off the program so strong, like her IQ was so high. Mm-hmm. By the end of the program, it was so low. Yeah. Like, she was so yeah. easily duped. I mean, well, the other thing is, and, and I brought this up earlier, they let Tom and Tuvok keep their comm badges on, where they specifically, throughout the rest of the program, they took right. the Starfleet officers' comm badges off. So now he was able like, hey, Rakani, stand down because I have my comm badge on. That's very convenient, right? Yeah. I'm so surprised that someone as smart as Seska fell for the old one-two phaser reprogramming blow-up-in-your-face trick. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, because especially since Tuvok had already watched Janeway killed with that. Right. You know? Yeah. As we wrap it all up, though, I I love how they're sitting in the mess hall talking about what to do next. And you throw out a Western because, of course, we've seen Western holodeck programs. I still wonder, though, like how popular would a Western be in the 24th century? A detective story, Shades of Dixon Hill. You know, like these are things that get thrown around. Kind of fun. Uh, But, man, they are so dismissive. Of Neelix again. Come on, Neelix has saved your hide before. Let's show the cook a little respect. Tom probably could have ended the game a lot sooner if only he used the thing his aunt gave him, which he doesn't know what it is. We'll get right back to Distant Origin after a word from this week's sponsor, HelloFresh. 
With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and, very important, affordable. That's why it is America's number one meal kit. With all of the summer fun and festivities, we're busy. We don't have time to do certain things like go to the grocery store. So you want to take a bite out of that summer chaos with HelloFresh. You have chef-crafted seasonal recipes from their new Fresh and Fit summer menu. And HelloFresh brings that flavor right to your door. Like John said, pre-portioned ingredients that helps cut down on food waste, which you don't like. None of us like no, that. No, I don't with like step- that. Mm. No, none of us no. like that. And we have step-by-step instructions. Makes cooking a breeze. You don't want to make it work. You want to make it fun. There we and go. And if you want to eat well, too, HelloFresh's menu has calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options. And for all of you vegan diners out there, you want to choose from their assortment as well. HelloFresh makes it easy to reach your food goals with flavorful recipes that will leave you feeling, most importantly, John, satisfied. See, that's what I'm saying. Satisfied, but also getting into speedo shape. I think that's what's really important uh, for me and for everybody else. Uh, two big goals. <laughs> exactly. Two <laughs> giant goals. Uh, look, HelloFresh wants you to have it all. That is no small order. But when they say all, they mean free time and fresh, tasty food. That's why they take care of the meal planning and deliver the ingredients so everything you need to whip up a delicious meal arrives right to your door. HelloFresh gets that you want options when it comes to what to make for dinner, not just the same old thing all the time. That's why they offer 40 recipes to choose from every single week, so you'll never get bored and can always find something new to try and love. That's really what it's all about. Food is love. When you need dinner fast, don't call for delivery. Think HelloFresh. Their fast and fresh recipes are ready in just 15 minutes or less. Plus, HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout. Norman, let me tell you, man, they're not lying about mm-hmm. that timing. I love it on the recipe card when it says this will take, you know, 15 minutes to prep and then 10 minutes to cook or whatever. And I, I was shocked. A lot of the things that I cooked that I loved, super fast, super easy. I have one of those recipe cards in my hand right now. Ooh, and I'm going to read the title. Yeah. Now, I, I did it from their vegetarian slash vegan offerings. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the one pan trattoria tortellini bake. Ooh, Hello. With Sounds good. a crispy Parmesan panko topping. And it was crispy. It was delicious. It was really easy to prepare. And everything that's on the little side menu of ingredients that's supposed to come in your kit, it's there. And all you have to do is follow the instructions and you're done. I love it. You had me a crispy Parmesan panko. Yeah. <laughs> so skip trips to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and and affordable. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MissionLog50 and use code MissionLog50 for 50% off from America's number one meal kit. I feel like every time there's a holodeck story, we have to talk about privacy are there no locks on these doors? I mean, what's Apparently going on? Apparently not. Apparently there's no locks on anything. Even even if you go to somebody's quarters and, you know, you ring the doorbell, if you're a certain level, you can just say, like, computer, open the door, and it, it'll happen anyway. But Tom Paris just walks in, and he is shocked at first mm-hmm. what Bellana is up to. I mean, at least she wasn't dancing the rumba with a naked bullion. 
that, that a, is yeah that's a video. yeah yeah that that is 90s uh tv speak particularly 90s trek speak for something way more salacious yeah. Something that definitely Riker or Quark or people who are using Quark's hollow suites would be doing. That's coded, coded language. Reminds me of the uh, Californians. You know, Tom walks in, Bellana's, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, it, it is like, I, I feel like you always have to get into the story somehow. And that is the shorthand for just like, we're getting in there. We're going to have a somewhat confrontational scene here just to get to the bottom of what's happening and why this is a weird or interesting predicament for them to be in but there's a privacy issue there there is a privacy issue i think when you get to the end like i said where there's the monitor actually watching somehow cameras virtual cameras in that holodeck space to show you what's going on and you would think that of all the uh, booby traps, there, I said mm-hmm. it, you would think of all the booby traps that Seska laid out in the program, she would also be aware of the virtual cameras in that room right. and either shut them off or uh, redirect them somewhere. I, I, I don't know. Like, part of the frustration of the holodeck is that the rules and the features seem to get recreated all the time. Part of the fun of the holodeck is that the fun and the features get recreated all the time. Well, definitely, you know, it's it's a wonderful kind of like writer's sandbox to be able to push certain narratives, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, kind of like color outside the lines because, you know, it's a holodeck. You know, if you're already believing the conceit that this is actually technology that works, then I think that you can also believe in the conceit that, you can push the technology even further for these purposes. The one thing though, that I, and I still harp on this and I know that, you know, many fans out there that are listening, were saying that's really nitpicky norm, but I do like consistency with the in-game universe rules. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with the comm badges, if you're going to use those in a very specific way and make a point of removing them for a very specific purpose, all of this time to remove the the crew from being able to contact each other or for outside help, like Tom did, you know, with Rukani, you have to stick to those conveniences because that's mm-hmm. the only way that the consistency is going to work when it comes yeah. to being able to do what Tom did. Like, oh, I wish I had my comm badge so I can, you know, further this ruse with Seska. Right, right, right. Which I I guess they could have written around that if they had taken the comm badge and Seska says, contact somebody on the bridge. Right. You you know, and he goes to a comm station or or something to do that. Now, I'm interested that you pointed out the inconsistencies up top in the way the Hollow novel starts. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I I honestly, until you mentioned it, I didn't really think about it. I didn't really notice it because I'm... I'm seeing that, you know, Chakotay's delivery, his dialogue, those are all the same Mm -hmm. to get the scene going. But it's so interesting to me that Tuvok wrote, you know, quote unquote, wrote the Hala novel, starts the same way each time. And then I kept wondering at, at what point, like how much of the choose your own adventure does he write? How many of those nodes or possibilities exist in the program that he writes? And how much of it is just the computer taking over? Like, 
could this person in the 24th century, like Tuvok, who's going to write it very logically and try to think through, maybe he's got four or five ideas in his head. This happens, then this happens, this person behaves this way, and you get to this point. Mm -hmm. Okay, but there are potentially, look, you got 148 crew members. There are potentially millions of ways for this to play out, given different variables, different scenarios. And I, I, yeah, I just kind of wonder, like, what is the utility? Like, there is a utility for him to actually do it, to think through the security scenario. But then how much can he and should he just hand it over to a computer to say, try this? What, you know, does it need to always start the same exact way? Well, I'm wondering, um, in this case, because it was written specifically for a training module for mm-hmm. security, junior security officers, if his security officers were already thinking this way. So instead of like the 148 crew members, you're down yeah. to maybe 12. And in okay. those 12, you know, they've already been conditioned to think a certain way because they are, you know, they are um, up and coming tactical officers for Tuvok security team. Now he's he knows that and can tune the psychology of the game to tap into their possible response mechanisms because they're already thinking a certain way. They're already kind of uh, heightened or aware of looking for security inconsistencies in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, so I'm just good point. You know, it's not like, you know, Balana going in there and saying, like, I wish it had more romance or Neelix, like, I wish I wasn't a traitor. No, it's like it's it's Tom. (laughs) But with a real actual ensign who cares about being a good security officer, you know, and yeah. and not saying to Tuvok, you know, I'm bored. That's why I said earlier, it was neat hearing Tuvok say, this is what you should do when we're in this situation. You look and you observe and you try and formulate the most logical course of action to be able to escape and save the crew. But you yeah. can't do it yeah. just because you want to or because, you know, you're bored and you want to do something. Right, right, right. right. It, it is interesting, though, like, given the variables that he could put in there, th- there literally could be a variable where he's like, oh, okay, in this version of it, they take away everybody's comm badge. Mm-hmm. In this version of it, they don't somehow. Or, it, you know, you, you literally, like, all these little choices that could be attributed to anybody, but that dramatically changes the the game, you know, you, you put that in quotes, the gameplay of this training simulation, you know. The, by the way, I love Janeway's line, just with all due respect, Mr. Tuvok, loosen up. I, yeah. I love it. Like you said, it subverts our expectation of her, what we expect out of her. I, I thought that was um, that was very cool of Janeway. If you're a fan and, of the movie Stripes, it was the calm down Francis moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it does bring up this interesting idea of is there any stock given in the 24th century world of being on a starship where you have a thing like a holodeck to there being thought crimes is a little strong of a phrase but how do we deal with sort of unsavory ideas we have every now and then picked apart holodeck stories for sexual content or the lack thereof but there is so much embarrassment as you pointed out about the very existence of this program but this program actually makes a lot of sense to exist like somebody had to come up with it tuvok is the logical guy to have developed this 
But is it okay for the crew then to take entertainment from alternate versions of their coworkers, even if that entertainment is partly that they're killing each other? Well, okay, so this that's a great question, and I love that you and I formulate our questions independently because this goes all the way back <laughs> to oh, good. something that I mentioned in observations. And I said, when Balana shot Harry, I questioned was that her story choice or was that her instinct? Okay. Uh-huh. And that made me yeah. wonder, um, as valuable as this or as any hollow novel is to being welcome and entertaining distraction like Jane was talking about for, you know, boosting crew morale, could these hollow novels serve a dual purpose? As in, say, collecting data on crew members for psychological evaluations, if Ooh. needs be. Kind of like using apps today. And, you know, the warning that people say that these apps are just basically algorithmic information gathering systems so that you can get ads pushed to you that psychologically, you know, impact who you are because they're so specifically designed for you. So that's kind of like how these things might work. They might work in in a way where, I mean, it starts off as a normal training exercise, you know, for, you know, two box security officers. But that could also be something where he's gathering data about how good his security officers are or how effective his training is. So what if more of these were created to do that purpose? What if it was a recreational one where they all have to go to, oh, there was like a leadership training course that, you know, uh, junior executives used to go to all the time. uh, And it would basically it would monitor them for team building. What if yeah. there were team building hollow novel exercises that allowed Janeway to psychologically profile how good her leadership skills skills were? Um, uh, I mean, look at it uh-huh. this way: when yeah. when Bellana was in her immersion, her personality took over. She was very analytical, very methodical. Yeah. She was trying to game the system. You know, <laughs> yes, Tom yes. was basically: I don't care. I'm just going to like, I'm going to have my stock set answers and see where it goes from here. Yeah. And they both compared notes and you know, they both swapped strategies and they got different robust stories. But at the same time, though, Tom was flippant and defiant, as he is. Balana mm-hmm. was introspective and kind of like uh, attention-oriented, as she is. Mm-hmm. That's a psychological drilling down for these studies. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, that is such a you know shout out to our own Earl Green uh, for uh, helping us to frame this episode about the gamification of things, and it, it's so true what you just said that you know we gamify how we look at so much in our world today, partly because we're all walking around with these computers in our pockets that then, as you so aptly put, use algorithms to surprise us with things that we want to interact with while in the background they are collecting information for for good or for ill i mean there there might be certain reasons that you want to share that information there might be certain feedback and data you want coming back your way but then very often there may not be the things that we gamify i mean we we gamify work we gamify health like there's literally a health app Mm -hmm. that 
it, you know, yes, there are definitely very important, legitimate pieces of data you can get from that. But the fact that, you know, I look at my phone and I open it up to see, ooh, how many steps did I take? How many finish miles those did circles, I take? man? Finish right. the circles. Right. How does that compare to yesterday and last week and all? Uh, even, you know, auto maintenance. Uh, there are apps that, that kind of gamify that. I think this episode is very prescient in showing us that. Also, it, it, it is it's so interesting to see in Tuvok's eyes, it, this is a very legitimate use for his creativity. You know, uh, it, it's a great way for him to think outside the box about, well, yeah, a training manual can do this. But I can actually program the story here that I can play out multiple times, multiple scenarios with my security crew. Uh, you know, as you said, maybe a dozen people, maybe more or whatever, and see how this actually works and get valuable information from it. And I kept thinking that it's interesting in a story like this to see how the intended use of technology is sometimes very far off from the actual use when an audience finds it. Mm -hmm. You know, how wonderfully embarrassing for Tuvok <laughs> to have this thing that he thinks is important and useful, and it is, and you have one audience that finds it and thinks like, wow, this is this is a gas. This is crazy. I'm going to go in here and like shoot my coworkers, right? you know, and there is another use, which is when it falls into the wrong hands, Seska, who actually is using it to torture those people if and when they find it. Right. Uh, and it's such an interesting thing, you know, when it comes to we've had this conversation before about the application of technology and what it should be used for, because mm -hmm. Tuvok was doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason and then just mm -hmm. left a paper trail, which was like unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But at the same time, though, I, I love how they they praise him with the accolades of being this creative person where he's like, yeah, that's yeah. not this at all. But he also gets a little bent when Tom kind of takes ownership of his work. So, yeah. yeah, I know that, you know, we have our consistency versus inconsistency, you know, uh, issues with uh, Vulcans over the course of all of Star Trek. But I think that Tuvok was getting a little emotionally attached to his work. <laughs> But it's perfect. I, that, that's look for as many times as we've come down on Tuvok about being a bad security officer. This is actually a place where he is good and creative as a security officer, and 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 we get to really dig under that you know, impervious Vulcan skin and see what's actually going on in his psyche. One thing I wanted to ask you, though, because you, you understand the business better than I do. When I was looking at Bolana's narrative sequence which was acted a certain way, which had certain directing cuts, which had certain mm -hmm. close-ups and certain pans and certain long shots. Mm -hmm. I looked at Tom's, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it's the exact same footage, just cut different ways. Now, I'm wondering if a director uses this for a... Is it a conscious choice to maintain some type of continuity? Is it... Um, a, a time management tool that say some directors use. It is a is it a cost saving tool that producers use without so that they don't have to film as much and keep actors on the set as long. I, I'm going to say all of the above. 
uh, because all of those things are valuable in producing an episode like this. And again, get it, we're getting close to the end of the season. We got to save, save, save because they probably blew a little too much money right before the Christmas break. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they didn't shorten so, those scenes. Those scenes went the entirety from the beginning to the end with with a little yeah. bit of change in between, but mostly intact. So, you know, a good 20 minutes of this episode are the same scenes. Yeah. But I think what's cool is that in an episode like this, it, it also serves an artistic purpose. It also serves to kind of disorient us as the audience by being the same because your expectation is – Oh, well, th- this will play out differently for different people. But when you start to repeat footage like that and start to repeat moments like that, it actually disorients us because then you're asking yourself, wait, did I see this? Did, did that play out the same way before? And you start to get into your head about that. I think that's a very effective thing about the, uh, the, the technical choices in the show. Is this episode too dark? Are we likely to be eaten by a group? Let's see what our players think. Well, we made it to the best case scenario of the worst case scenario here, John, because we made it to the end. That is the best case scenario. We actually make it to the end. That's good. We made it to the end. We had great conversation. We had great discussion. And now we're going to get into what we always do at the very end of all of our Mission Log episodes. We see if this episode actually holds up. We ask if it withstands the test of time. And then... At the very end, we look at if we were able to find and mine any morals or meanings or messages. So here we are, John. Worst case scenario. Was it the worst case scenario for you or was it (laughs) the opposite of that? Okay. Well, that that might be treading a little too much in extremes. Let's see. This is an episode that faces head on that age old question. How do we do a holodeck episode without doing a holodeck episode? And and then yeah. the other age-old question, how do we do a Mirror Universe episode without doing a Mirror Universe episode? So we really get two slices of cake here, and we get to eat them, too. And on top of that, we get something that actually addresses the maquis tensions that were abandoned way back in season one. Like, it's kind of yes. cool to see, like, oh, hey, remember that? Remember that some of our crew wasn't totally on board with everything? Now, it's a little hard to swallow that it would be Chicote, given that we've got nearly three years with Chicote, but put yourself back in the position of it is caretaker, day one, Voyager. Tuvok has worked with Chicote. And doesn't know exactly what he's going to get when the whole game of subterfuge is revealed about what's going on with the Maquis. So I, I think a lot of those elements, a lot of the premise really works. I don't think this is a particularly heavy or consequential episode, but we get to have some fun here in a pretty novel, uh, might I say, hollow novel sort of way uh hey if there's anything that i'll be really nitpicky about again it's just that maybe this feels a little out of place but then where is the right place when you've got a burning need to tell a holodeck story you just kind of drop that in wherever you know and if Mm -hmm. we uh, if we just sort of accept the premise voyager will always be on this long long journey to get home and things will be revealed about the crew on that long journey back home. Well, here's a neat way to revisit this tension from early on, but do it now. Why not? This episode also has a bit which 
most holodeck episodes do have a bit much of the whole you know the computer just outsmarted us there's so much of that that you could get whiplash where hey we figured this thing out oh no no no, sesco reprogrammed it well we figured this part out oh no no no, uh it's booby trapped hashtag booby trap (laughs) like you you know somebody at some point at starfleet needs to design a holodeck where there's a plug that you can kick out of the wall because that would solve a lot of problems (laughs) there i mean there must be a very busy quiet desk somewhere like hidden and there's a constant email inbox at starfleet holodeck malfunction and maintenance you know like it's just somebody they're like oh got another one oh somebody the worst inbox yeah yeah somebody took it over tried to kill their crew again oh another artificial intelligence run amok and unfortunately in this episode you can kind of tell that they're just running out of things for kess she's just literally just like oh there's an image of kess move along i do in the old wig too yes 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 i like seska in this much more than I liked her in the arc with the Kazon. Partly mm-hmm. because I was never really sold on the Kazon and partly because I was never sold on her motivation to align with the Kazon. In this, great. Like, you can just get, oh, okay, she, the, the, the jig is up. She has revealed really what's in her heart. Now she's going to make life very difficult for uh, the people on Voyager. I do, as I mentioned before, I wish that we had some other person or people in addition to Janeway rewriting the Holland novel. I know that she's the captain. I know that she's also the star of the show, but come on. <laughs> so this is a fun diversion of an episode. I would probably watch this again. Again, I don't think it's consequential. I don't think it really has deep insights into what Star Trek is all about. But I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed being fooled right at the start. So fun, but fun doesn't necessarily have to be great, and great doesn't necessarily have to be deep. So I enjoyed it. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying something new here, like with my my reactions, and I wrote down basically a couple of very immediate thoughts. I said, fun episode, clumsy ending. Mm. That's how Mm. I felt about the episode. I thought the episode was fun. I really wanted to be 100% on board with the episode because right up until Act 5, I just I was very you know entertained by the notion of you know this story. Um, I love the return of this whole Chakotay versus Janeway, Maquis versus Starfleet theme. Yeah, uh, we put that to bed in Basics One and Two, but I think that's just the one thing in Voyager that we never really got was you know the resolution of the tension of that great idea that started off with Caretaker. Yeah, and I really did feel it. You know, the potential of that, like in this episode, I loved that Chakotay said that big quote. He said, under my command, we won't let the almighty Federation principles get in the way of opportunities the way Janeway did when she destroyed the array that could have gotten us home. You know, and then there's the rest of that, which, you know, Robert acted brilliantly. And, And I think that this is that missing scene that we needed to see at the beginning of Chakotay's character development which put him squarely in the middle between Starfleet and his training that kicked in later and his loyalty to the Maquis and what we learned about him in Tattoo, why he joined and why he was sympathetic to the Maquis. Yeah. So without this scene, which is, it's strange because Tuvok wrote it. So he knew (laughs) somewhere along the line, more psychological information about Chakotay than we know about as the audience. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And put that into his character so that Tuvok infiltrated the Maquis 
and earn Chakotay's trust. And that's where Chakotay would probably tell him stories, you know, upon tales of who he was and why he joined the Maquis. This is that story. This is kind of like that 1.5 what, that, that we needed to right. learn more about Chakotay. And I, I really like that it's at odds with this whole sticking point with Janeway's two-tiered promise of getting him home, but we're going to explore at the same time. Mm-hmm. I like that. I understand that. As Star Trek fans, you know, we accept that. But at the same time, though, we've seen how that has backfired on her in past episodes. I like this episode because it backfills a lot of what we could have seen at the start of the series. Yeah. You know, it gives a lot of possibility to the Chakotay Bolana relationship, which we've seen before. Obviously, the Seska relationship. They brought back Jonas, which was a great callback. Why <laughs> yes. they didn't bring Baxter back? I was so upset. Oh, come on. That they didn't bring back, yeah. you know. But Act 5 is where it just kind of fell apart for me. It was very clunky. It was predictable. And it turned into what Tuvok tried to prevent when he said to Tom about revising the story. He said, you think I will allow you to turn this program into a parody? You are sorely mistaken. And I'm sorry, Tuvok, by Act 5, it was a little too too late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Act 5 is where it it definitely dips into that territory and you you lose sight of – okay, now we're really interested in the character motivations and it just becomes that whole process of how do we outsmart the computer? And that that's, uh, you know, uh, like, yeah, at a certain point you have to wrap up the story, but uh, five is clunkier. And that's, I, you know, I, I kind of teased it before and said this episode isn't particularly deep or consequential. I don't know that we're necessarily meant to walk away with a lot here in terms of morals, meanings, messages. But I had a couple of thoughts. I, I did wonder if Tuvok learned anything from just the process of writing and developing this novel and getting struck by this creative instinct and in his back and forth with his crewmates about being creative. I also wondered if he learned anything from his own character in the Holland novel. So was that Tuvok too complacent? Was he not action oriented enough to try to take care of the situation? Cause you mentioned that hmm. there are the moments where he's saying like, no, 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 we have to observe. We have to strategize. Whereas right. Tom's just ready to go in guns blazing, you know? And I also wonder, just from a technical standpoint, does Holodeck Tuvok get out of the way when real Tuvok runs the simulation? Because remember, Tom was able to play the novel and see the character Tom in the story at the same time. So does Tuvok, you know, when Seska confronts them, she knows that that's Tuvok and Tom, which is very weird because then, you know, it is that character, Holodeck Seska, saying like, no, 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 they're real. They are the targets that I am going after. That's pretty crazy stuff. If the message here is that you can't trust anyone, so you have to prepare for the absolute worst case scenario. There you go. Name check on the title. Nice. Uh, it's too bad, but but I, I guess that's why we have things like security officers in a situation like this, to be able to look around the corners and go, hmm, how do we game this out? Speaking of games, remember way, way back in TOS and Shore Leave, the more complex the mind, the greater the need for the simplicity of play that was smart then and it applies here though there is also a purpose and another malfunction here so i i I guess don't let anyone else see your holonovel program and uh, let's start building these things where the 
safety protocols are just on just leave them on all the time there's not a yeah. back door there's not a switch to say turn it off just leave them on yeah <laughs> what That's about a, yeah good point good point yeah. what about you man so i'm going to highlight uh the quote that Jane we had midway through the episode, I loved it when she said, I'm more than just a captain. I'm the leader of a community, and communities need entertainment, culture, creative outlets. Since we're not exactly privy to every new piece of music or hollow novel that's written back home, I think it's only natural that we should start creating our own. I loved that so yeah. much. Yes. Because I, I love how the nurturing nature of who she is and what she's responsible for. She's not just responsible for the mission. She's responsible for the emotional well-being of her crew. And it's a great sentiment because I spent most of my personal and professional career in the arts, You know, either mm-hmm. supporting the arts or professionally investing myself in the arts or mm-hmm. helping young artists in their careers. As a creative director, I did that with you know uh, portfolio reviews and um, recommending certain artists to certain positions. It's so important to have the arts in your lives, and this is how you uh, this is how you help communities in community building and to help them express themselves when the opportunity isn't always there. Uh, Janeway said that uh, communities need ways to express themselves creatively for both the artist and for the audience, and I think that. What they're on, like what seventy two now, light years away from home, something like that. <laughs> it's more important now than ever to promote a healthy and a robust environment of diverse cultures, you know, on this ship, and uh, not only just from the Federation members on that ship, but also from the alien races that they've encountered, and maybe promote and foster their cultures on the ship, because that only enhances the experience for all the other crew members and maybe gives them the distraction that they'll need. Maybe they'll learn alien games or alien music, you know, like on the pleasure planet, there was plenty of good (laughs) stuff. There was, you know, with them. Yeah. Except for that one kind of, you know, creeper, (laughs) but you know, um, in my experience with Voyager so far, I think that every time we bring up something like this, I think it's a great idea that they would do this, that they would continue on the process of fostering, you know, and uh, maturing these cultures and these talents aboard their ship. But then a lot of this gets kind of like easily swept away by Voyager's, you know, reset button. Yeah. You know, and I say yeah. that with a very heavily sarcastic tone because it's true. Um, <laughs> but I do believe, and, and if I found a moral or meaning or message in here, I, I do believe that art and preserving one's culture through artistic studies is how we stay centered and grounded uh, and stay connected to who we are, or in this case, where we are. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Scorpion, Part 1. Some of the music for mission log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. One thing we can all learn from this is that in interactive games, as in life, it is very tempting to hit troll with sword. And transmission.
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, 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 o